We wrote a book. We did that thing. We wrote a book. Done. And we also did a video series. Yeah. Yeah, it's available online at loverworkbook.com or loverwork.com. Video series you could do with your partner. Maybe gift it to them for Christmas. You know, they're very short videos. They're 10 10 minutes. minutes. Each 10 minutes. And I think, you know, so many of us have partners that don't really read books or maybe have not read the book and you've been wanting them to read the book, but they haven't. And it's a source of maybe a little bit of tension. Easy now. Happy wife, happy life. (laughs) So I think this is a great one because you could just watch this quick video, 10 minutes. It's a quickie. Even even in the car on the way to a date night Yeah, where then you can have a conversation about it. That is how we made this. We have six videos in this. Actually, there's seven. There's a little intro video. But topical things that, you know, you kind of hear from Andre and I, we get to kind of chit chat about some things we've learned along the way, some stories we have. After 10 minutes, it's going to instigate some conversation between the two of you. So that's available now. And there's four questions at the end of each one. Four questions. And y'all can just talk about it on your date night. Listen, we are setting you up for six successful date nights. And you know what I mean by successful. You got to bring up our fight. I mean, I'm usually right, but that's cool. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Never, no way. Let's go back. Don't share that story. Hang on. Did I go too fast? You just jumped to purpose, which is you. You're what a visionary. I see your I'm connection a- here. <laughs> Love or work. Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. Jeff and Andre Schinnebarger. Back again. We are back. This is exciting. We have a great, great podcasting conversation today. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my Goodness, this is a good one. This is like, why didn't we do this interview at the first one? I know. So it's it's like, first of all, it's all we need to give them a little preface, a little about context. Shannon, yeah. and this work. Yeah. So let's talk through that a little. Okay. Bit. So Shannon wrote a book called "To Stop a Warlord," and if you are listening right now, you just need to pause, go to Amazon, and buy the book. Because it was my favorite book of. 2019. Mine as well, for sure. She didn't ask it me for an endorsement. Like but I've, I've a seen. movie. You are going to fly through this book. Yep. It is, you think it's not real. It's a movie. It's a movie script and it should be put into a movie. And in short, it's how she, as a leader, found ways to build a private army and take down and pay for it and take down Joseph Conan. It's insane. It's a freaking movie. So stop right now, go buy the book, and then now let's go back to the conversation. Well, I want to add one more thing about that, though. In the book that I loved, something I loved about it. I mean, obviously, I always wanted to know what Shannon was doing that she couldn't talk to us about. It was always so you got so to hear secretive. the behind the, yeah, the, really what all happened. But she also constantly went back to, okay, and I have these two boys. And, and so, I have a husband. And I have a husband. And you kind of see through the lens of her children and family while also trying to end a war in Uganda. I mean, it's just like this complete, hard, complicated situation. Yes. And it's such a beautiful story. And, um, but but that's not it. Like, that's not the only project she's been a part of. She's been a, I don't even know all the ones she's been a part of. We Let me give don't you a couple know examples, all of them though. because she, was on <laughs> she the, can't tell us. She early was involved in Invisible Children. She was early on the board at Tom's Shoes. She was early um, helping lead 
Charity Water. I mean, these IJM. International Justice Mission. I mean, these are incredible organizations that she has been in the leadership with for years in and helping craft amazing. what she does. Yeah, amazing work. And so today we're interviewing Shannon and Sam, her partner. And it's just such a great podcast of truly representing, I think, falling in love with your partner's purpose which you and I oh, talk yeah, you're about right. a lot in yeah. the book. Yeah, you're right. And um, so we really want you to listen to that. We wanted to give you a little bit of backstory because we kind of uh, touch on a lot of those subjects. Hang on. But- we, we didn't even give it justice to the backstory. You got to buy the book. She did not ask us to even promote the book. I'm just telling you, if you want a good read of something that will bring you hope in the world, go buy this book. I read it in two days. I mean, that book was so good. Well, I really... I'm glad you read it in two days. I didn't try to rush it. You know, I really tried to sink into I'm it, Shannon. It was if you're that good. I really sunk into it and really just let it impact me. It maybe it took me you longer. You just don't want to confess you're a slow reader. That's but all. I, <laughs> and I, it, it was phenomenal. So all right, so, so Sam and Shannon. Yeah. What should we be listening for? Well, I love. There's some examples that are in this that are so great. The contrast between cotton candy machines and being in the jungle in Uganda. Yeah, that's good. The contrast between a friend being kidnapped and your kids are eating cereal. When you find out. Yeah. And then lastly, this concept that Shannon believes very deeply in, that she says, I believe that there's the ability to have multiple soulmates in your life. Yeah. And, That's, um, that was I, a good one to dig it, into. It led into some incredible stories that she shared with us of um, of people she really respects. So, yeah, Shannon and Sam, you're about to you're about to learn some incredible things and Wisdom hear some incredible stories. Yeah. All right. So today, again, we have Sam and Shannon Sedgwick Davis, who is the author of "To Stop a Warlord," and Sam is an attorney, a father a husband. And here we go. This is so good. Sam and Shannon. Well, this is actually kind of a point of contention with us uh, as far as how we met. And so Shannon teases me about it because she thinks we met in high school, but I think we actually met in college. But uh, so is this the like you don't remember her thing? I'm clearly very forgettable. It doesn't make me look very good. Um, But no, we we did, you know, get to know each other in college. We had a mutual friend, several mutual friends in the Austin's area. And so she was at a different college. But every once in a while, I would, you know, see Shannon and and uh, get to know her. And so but I guess. Fast forward like 14 years and when she was at IJM in Washington, D.C., she and her boss were speaking at a church in Austin that I was attending. And, and we had lunch afterwards and just kind of reconnected and started you know, corresponding over email and getting to know each other and then started dating. And, you know, and then that guess, was the yeah. time I went to I had been um planning to go to Cambodia for a big operation that International Justice Mission had. Um, probably one of the most emotional operations that I had been a part of there, uh, where we went to try to rescue these uh, young girls who had been held in um, in slavery and were 
you know, just in awful ways being used for sex. And um, that operation was pretty much right after you and I uh, reconnected and had lunch. And um, for some reason, like after that operation, the first phone call I made was to Sam to tell mm. them been successful because we had talked about it at our lunch. Um, and then shortly thereafter, I got very sick. We, we did start dating and just started spending a lot of time together and talking on the phone. And then I got an infectious disease uh, while I was traveling in Egypt and was in the hospital for several weeks here in San Antonio. And Sam came to visit every day and he brought Lonesome Dove on his laptop at the time. That's how we watched movies in the hospital. And we there and watched movies together and that was that was the pretty yeah. I would bring in I would bring in contraband gummy bears you know That's you weren't allowed true. to have any candy but I snuck in some gummy bears so. <laughs> so you so that's when you like really knew Shannon like or you both knew like he's coming every day of the hospital I think I think it's more I think he's the one I think what yeah, for me, I mean, it was just this ability that I, you know, I, I have I have a very strong personality, and um, and it was unusual for me to meet someone who was so incredibly supportive of that personality and of my passions, right? And so that through uh, his supporting and asking just all sorts of questions and being so interested in what we were doing, um, you know, on the the Cambodia front with our, our trafficking work. But yes, then just this idea that um, he sort of deeply cared and continued to come and check in. And um, it, it as a woman with a strong personality in this field, I think it, it, it's oftentimes hard to be vulnerable. Mm. And I just had such a cadence and a spirit about him. I was really able to be vulnerable to him. And and he just he created the space for that. And uh, it was pretty lovely. Yes. So how many years have you all been married now? So it's 16. 16. And you yeah. got married older. Is that right? Like you were older in life. Is that true? Yeah, you're trying to you're trying to ask their age right now, but no, that's not we that's not actually just older in life, <laughs> just life experience. That's all I want to know. We were both 29 when we got married. Yes. Oh, that's not bad. That's not really old. So I want to go back to what you were just sharing about this concept of being a strong woman and finding a life partner. I feel like that we have like had many conversations and been in many relationships where that is a big tension. Like, how would you explain that? Hun? I don't know. Yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe Sam, you can help us. But it seems like when women are super strong leaders and kind of on the forefront or in the spotlight, that men have a harder time with that. Or you see a lot of those relationships not really working out. And I don't know if it's just because men have a hard time with it, or if it's just there's somebody that's way out in the public that it's just makes the relationship difficult. Like, what do you all think with your relationship and just that idea that, I don't know, we just see it a lot in culture. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think there was some cultural pressure, right? Yeah. For the, you know, for the man to be the primary breadwinner or to be, you know, out in the spotlight. And, and so, but we, we made a, um, I think, yeah, a conscious decision where um, 
you know, there was, you know, when Shanna was traveling quite a bit, I was you know, at home with, with the boys and, and I, I was, you know, personally, I, I, I loved it. You know, I just, um, and it was, yeah, a blessing for me to, um, have that time. And, you know, yeah, so I, I, I didn't necessarily felt any kind of internal pressure. Um, of course I was still, you know, tr- kind of doing law school and doing some things for myself too. But, um, so, but yeah, no, I felt, I think we, we, we both kind of agreed together that, you know, it was maybe kind of a unique relationship in some ways. Um, and so, but yeah, I think we, did you know that right off the bat? I mean, was that something you all talked about? Like from the get go, like, you know, if we have kids, if this is going in that direction, that's what you wanted to do, Sam, or was it like, or it Slow, happened in real time. It happened in real time. Yeah. Yeah. More, I think a little of both, right? Because we both were evaluating, of course, as you do with anyone that you meet, you know, sort of evaluating um, each other's fit and each other's life. And I think for me, um, you know, if it, if being with another person was, or building a family with someone was going to prevent um, what I believed was sort of a call on my life, then um, then that probably would have been a non a non starter. But there was just so much openness to that, and so much uh, support from from Sam for that. That um, you know, we I don't think we had to have a lot of those pre discussions. That that said, when when we did decide to have kids, and I, it was clear that there was significant demands on my being in Central and East Africa a lot of those early years. Uh, we did look at each other and uh, and decided, and we had these precious beings, and just decided that we weren't comfortable. It wasn't going to work for me to be away um, that much unless uh, Sam, you know, was willing to really stay home and be a, a primary caregiver for the boys. Oh, that's strange, you know, that the husband is playing the role of a stay-at-home dad. The only time we would ever really talk about it would be times that I would bring it up to you because for you, it was just so second nature and like a force. And I would so every once in a while just bring up, oh, are you sure about this? And does this feel right? Um, and every time I would, you would kind of just look at me like, I was an alien a little bit like, why are you asking me that? Of course it is. You know, this is, this is how we've decided to do life together. Um, which was really, really a privilege. Um, and I, I hope that in doing that work, it really felt like, I mean, cause this is how I genuinely feel. It's both of us are doing the work, right? Both of us are parenting our children, but we're also both doing the extraordinary work that I just got to be a little more on the front lines of. Yeah, well, and I, I agree because I think I experienced a lot of Shannon's work just as much. You know, I, of course, wasn't, I'd be, you know, I wasn't in Africa with her. Of course, we have been in Africa as a family a couple of times, but in the midst of her work, I felt like I was there just because she would, you know, email or call home and say, Hey, this is what's going on. And she can share a lot at maybe at the time, just because of the sensitivity of the, of the, of the project or the mission. But, um, but when she, you know, so I felt, yeah, I, I think like Shannon said, I felt just as much as part of what she was doing. And, you know, obviously felt when she had highs and lows of her work and her, and her mission, you know, I kind of, of course felt those too. And, um, so, and, you know, and the uh, 
the boys, they had some limited knowledge. They, I think they called, you know, one of the bad guys, Darth Vader. And, you know, and so they, they had, they, they played a part in it too. So. Yeah. I mean, let's talk a little bit about that. Shannon, you know, your work was for a long time, very dangerous and very, well, it probably scary. is right now, and but still- we don't know what she's working on. So that's let's just be crystal clear. Yeah. Like we never know exactly what dangerous she's situation. Like in the CIA, you, know, you don't yeah, know. <laughs> Anyways, at that point, it was very dangerous, and uh, you were doing uh, and how and yet you know you've got this these kids, and so often you know parents we, we want to protect our kids and kind of keep them safe and and know that, but yet. Um, I, you have a different take on that a little bit in in your mind. Tell me how you did this incredible, dangerous work and yet had your children and brought them kind of into your work and your world a little bit and what that means to you. Yeah, so my my dream for my boys, and I feel like the, the number one thing I can do for them as a parent is um, to really just not only tell them that I want them to be whoever in all the world that they're created to be when they grow up and as they grow up, but the best way I think to encourage that and to truly show them that I'm sincere in that is to live that out myself and to be whoever I was created to be in all the world in front of them and engage them and involve them. And I have just so deeply appreciated uh, having Sam's support along the way, but, but theirs as well. And so when we did start, you know, some of this significant work and the mass atrocities, and I spent a lot of time in war zones and a lot of time in, in forward bases and military bases, you know, there was one time the boys were so young when we started this. And there was one time where my oldest looked at me probably on my third trip back and I was making tons of trips, but I also hated being away for a long period of time. So I would fly there and I would be gone maybe six days max and then fly back and try to be home two weeks and do this again and repeat this again. And of course, that's not the way we would have structured it if I didn't have little ones at home. If I, if I didn't, I would have stayed for a couple of months, right? And then come home for much longer periods of time. And I remember as I was leaving, I had Connor, my oldest, ask me, uh, mom, are you, are you going back to Africa to see the zebras? And he was so young, right? And so that's what he knew after I think all the little plastic animals that he would play with on his little table. And it was in that moment that I just was like, oh, you know, it's it's okay for us to start easing them in a little bit more into what mommy does. And so I just said, you know, son, you know, zebras would never take me away from you. Um, and mommy's going to try and see if we can help some kids that are in trouble. Um, and of course then that adds to the questions. And so we just had about a decade journey there where we really just unpacked for the boys in, in sort of age appropriate pieces, uh, what it was that we were doing. Uh, it did get to a point as Sam referenced where we laminated this, this huge map uh, because we had talked about there being a rebel warlord who was committing awful atrocities and that we were trying to stop him. And oftentimes we would know almost precisely where this was Joseph Coney and some of his leaders, precisely where they were. And the boys would take these puffy Star Wars stickers and they, they'd ask me on the map, 
where is so-and-so and they'd stick the sticker there. And then they had a Jedi sticker for me and a Jedi sticker. Oh my for- gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> worked with me. And then they wanted to know where we would be in proximity because we were often in these bases that were quite close. And, um, and so that really just helped them have a perspective, but it's, it's super funny in hindsight because the whole world was looking for this warlord and we had intelligence that had really confirmed where he was. So here are my little kids, you know, <laughs> no, my house has a Darth Vader puppy sticker on exactly where Joseph is, you know, and the literally one of the most viral videos of all time has got the world talking about it. And my kids have got like precise GPS grids on, on where this so is awesome. from the satellite phone at night. I'm like, he's moved North, you know, and Sam's trying to move the sticker. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that was, that was an interesting, interesting time. I remember so profoundly um, and not to spoil anything that, you know, is in our book, but so profoundly when we did have one operation that was targeting uh, Joseph Coney's capture and we felt extremely positive about it. And so before I left, I told the boys that it was quite likely that we were going to be able to capture Joseph Coney on that mission. We had captured his other two top commanders previously. And um, I remember getting home and the boys being so invested in what had happened, right? Mom, did, did you, were you able to capture Joseph Coney? And I remember, you know, just being tearful and having to tell them that, it, you know, it wasn't a success. And um, my youngest at the time, Brody, saying, oh, mom, you did not use the force enough. <laughs> 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 so Sam, how does it feel when your wife is literally off in Africa fighting a warlord? Are you scared? Well, I wouldn't say scared. I mean, it's it's obviously it is nerve wracking. It's it's stressful at times. Um, I know that um, you know Shannon is is always you know as as careful as you can be over there. She usually has security and, um, you know, people around her that help her be safer, but yes, uh, yeah, there's always some risk. And, and so, yeah, we would, you know, just whenever she was gone, we'd make, make a point of, you know, yeah, praying for her each night and, and, um, for protection. And so, but yes, it is, uh, a lot of things she would tell me, you know, if it's like, repelling out of a helicopter. She would tell me after she got back. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let me tell you what I lived through. <laughs> after the fact. Uh, but you knew, I mean, essentially you knew kind of what you were getting yourself into when you meet and you already know she's gone to Cambodia to do another mission that is somewhat dangerous as well. So you knew in a sense, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. Cause she was, I mean, she had, you know, they had, with the Cambodia operation, she had secret cameras and she was, they were doing sting operations. And so, yeah, I knew that there was, she was doing some risky um, work and, but it was also pretty amazing too. I was just kind of blown away when I first heard about the work Shannon was doing. I just, you know, didn't think that, you know, real people were actually doing this incredible work, you know? And so I was really just amazed and, and, um, you know, excited to learn more. And, and so we would, you know, like Shannon said, we would email and, and, you know, when she was in Cambodia and, and kind of give me some, some updates about their projects. So it was, mm. yeah, exciting, but yes, also, you know, it was stressful too at times, just worried, worried for her. So in the midst of this, you guys, um, 
there's this incredible work that you guys are both a part of and um and also incredible results that you guys have seen over years and decades and all these different in 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 multiple organizations that you've been connected with i'm curious take i want to go behind the scenes a little bit and how do you figure out the balance side of that for the two of you because like on one hand it's like okay there's this huge mission at stake and the other hand it's like okay but all right how do we do this how do we sustain our marriage and how do we care for our kids like do you guys have like some boundaries you've created or philosophies or how how, how have you guys worked that out yeah i think it's been you know it's been made so easy by someone like sam who's just a, a sort of a peacemaker at heart he's a nine on the enneagram right so just a tremendous uh, compliment, I think, in so many ways. And what are you, Shannon, on the Enneagram? Two on the Enneagram. So um, it's, it, which has been a really good compliment in terms of, of again, just creating this environment um, for our, our children of, um, of stability. And even when they're really, it didn't feel like there was as much stability in real life. Because at the end of the day, there really was. Our children were um, incredibly loved and safe. And, you know, that was something that just Sam sort of exudes in who he is and his stature. I'm much more of sort of a warrior too, right? So I, I, I have a strong uh, personality that sort of can weave in and out. I mean, I think of the times that, you know, early in the morning I had gotten a call from the field and one of the organizations we work with, um, someone within that organization had been kidnapped. And I was just walking back and forth in our backyard to have that conversation outside of uh, the ears of the boys. And I remember Sam walking out and just overhearing and me being like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to jump on a plane right now to figure this out. And then just Sam sort of casually walking back in. And, um, and then I looked through the windows from the backyard as I was finishing up that call. And, you know, he was inside with the boys at the kitchen bar countertop and they were just in their pajamas and eating breakfast cereal, right? And, you know, Sam at the same time was extremely concerned, right? We, we slipped away and had a conversation after I was off the phone. But again, just exuding uh, that kind of strength and, and balance to the kids and, and strength in his peacemaking ways, which is really a powerful, uh, mm-hmm. a powerful I think. Yeah. And I would just say that I think balancing, you know, when, when, when Shannon's obviously Shannon's not doing a lot of travel now with COVID, but when she was doing a lot of travel, when you were home, we're, we're pretty much homebodies, you know, so we, we like to just to, you know, weekends, especially that's just kind of precious time for us where we're just hanging out and, you know, loving on each other and the boys and just, you know, enjoying each other's company. And, and so, so we're, we're pretty, you know, and maybe it's kind of subconsciously, but we're intentional about, you know, let's not try to do too much on the weekends and really in, enjoy that time to kind of reconnect and just spend time with each other. So I do think we hit a little bit of some places where Sam ended up going to law school and doing this sort of extraordinary work. We were fortunate, you know, that he just was able to do some nonprofit and charitable work and had chosen to do some pretty hard work, taking court appointments with kids who um, had been removed from their home 
because of issues with their parents and some pretty awful situations sometimes. And we did have, I felt like we did have some challenges uh, at times when I would um, come back from a trip that also might've been really heavy. Mm-hmm. And then your day-to-day work was super heavy. And I wasn't used to that because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you this is after the boys had gotten old enough to where Sam decided to kind of start working some more again. And then of course picked, you know, we're gluttons for, um, <laughs> for admission. You know, that and there, I remember there being much harder for me, I think, than you, or at least you just were kinder than me. I remember there being times where I would just have to look at you and be like, I can't listen to that story right now. You know, I've just come back from this place where there's just this mass destruction and suffering. And now you're telling me that that's also what we're experiencing here at home, right? And it's just so close. The proximity just felt so close that sometimes I would be overwhelmed about it, um, but also feel very bad about it uh, at times too, because uh, there is that it, it is hard to strike that balance. And Sam absolutely should be able to also come home and really unload about those stresses. And so we did, I think we really did have to figure that out and navigate that. And I think we've just gotten good at taking clues from each other of, of when we're a little more able to sort of take on some of that extra weight. Yeah. Is, was there a time in your marriage, and I think you kind of talked about a bit, where you just were like, what we're doing right now is not working. Whatever is happening, however this flow is going, is not working. And we need to make a big transition or a big change and shift. And what did that look like? How did you reach that point? Yeah, I mean, there was a time where I think our marriage changed because there was such a significant event. I miscarried between the two boys mm-hmm. and miscarried quite late, you know, 17, 20 weeks wow. somewhere. Wow. Yeah. Very challenging. And, um, and it was the, the pain and grief, mm. uh, that, that, hit me in that season was, was astronomical. I mean, it just, Mm -hmm. I was in deep, deep pain. And I know, I mean, and Sam has his own story to tell. And and I know he was deeply sad as well, but uh, there was something just different about, we were grieving very differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was the first time there was sort of a mutual, I guess, event that we really were grieving over. And we were grieving so different that it really, it changed, it changed the state of our marriage, right? It wasn't something where we're like, oh, we're grieving differently, reset, like, how are we going to get through this? There was no way through it, I think, without accepting how extremely different we were uh, with regards to how we experienced that situation. I was suffering in such a mess and I went to see our OB and she actually um, gave me something to induce me because, you know, the child was no longer alive inside of me. Then I burst the baby at home and I remember my mom coming over and kind of being there and me holding, um, you know, what was a very tiny, you know, um, baby. And um, that was hard. I mean, I remember Sam not really 
being in the room much, you know, and experiencing it uh, quite different than me. And then that just, that really just perpetuated for me. Um, I think that was a real marker for us, you know, in terms of us just having to accept that, um, that something that was probably the most important thing to you or I at a given time that, that we experienced the loss of that really differently. Maybe I'm sure it's from the way I was raised. I, I tend to internalize things a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think with the miscarriage and losing my mom, you know, so, and I, it's still something I, I try to work on and improve if, yeah, if I'm sad or if I'm hurting or, or, you know, upset about something to, to express that. And, you know, my default is to, okay, let me just shut down and not communicate. And so that's, so that's a challenge, I think. So, and Shannon's more like, Hey, let's get it out there. Let's get it open. If you're struggling and hurting, let's talk. Which also can be very overpowering, right? Not giving you to grieve your way. Right. And that's what's about relationships because none of us are the same. And there was, yeah, there was a season of that too. After you lost your mom, you were profoundly sad. And then my sort of, and that season as she was passing away, um, she had cancer. And so we had a season where she was on hospice and where sort of the writing was on the wall. And then knowing from our the time in terms of how we'd learned from how we'd both grieved so differently during miscarriage season, knowing that I was probably going to need to try to step outside of my natural instinct, right? To get in and fix or try to manage and help and and provide Sam a lot more space um, Mm -hmm. to have that season with his mom um, on his terms. Uh, Something about a strong personality is sometimes we can really overwhelm a situation, especially with others who actually just are almost better in terms of, of that, or who are just mm-hmm. more accepting and just and much more peacemakers. So they allow an environment at times to sort of be trumped in a way that they don't feel like it even is right to right. them. But I certainly didn't want to do that here. And it felt like it had to be Sam's journey to walk. That's what I remember in that season, there was a time where I mentioned something about, oh, you know, I'm happy to go do this, but you know what, whatever you think, And you were sort of good about signaling back to me, like, I still want you to also be you in this environment, right? Like I signed for you um, and we're going to walk this life together. And so you actually probably put it on my radar, at least that I had, I had was trying so hard to give you that space to be uniquely you that I wasn't being me. Right. And so there was, there wasn't the partnership in grief there either. Yeah, it is a it is such a sensitive balance to try to stay in that, you know, something that your partner needs, but yet still being authentically you with that having my high level crazy step in and take over. Maybe it's just like the unhealth part of you or some, you know, the unhealthy part of you take over when those situations arise. But yeah, I appreciate you guys sharing that story because I think there's a lot of people that well, first of all, that have grieved with the loss of a child in some way. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I think it's it's unusual that people o- often talk share about and talk about it, you know? Yeah. And um, so thank you for that. I have a different question. Uh, I'm looking at your bookshelf right behind you. And it's like basically like the 
All of our heroes. All the heroes. Nelson Mandela, Tutu, Ruth, RGB. All these people. And and you guys are like, you know them. You know, <laughs> They're like <laughs> friends of yours, which is an amazing thing. And I think on a daily basis, you're fighting with these people for the most vulnerable humans in our world. So it's like you have um, relationships with the most influential and for the sake of the most vulnerable. Um, and it's a really interesting thing. Um, I'm curious between those two relationships, both sides of those people that you call deep friend that you're deep friends with, what have you learned about relationships and, um, from these two kind of unique sides of the world that, that you've kind of integrated into how you see the world? Yeah. And, you know, I've learned some pretty extraordinary things by being able to sort of bear witness to what I consider to be some of the greatest uh, relationships um, in in my lifetime, at least. And um, one of them is that I believe we have multiple soulmates, right? Like I grew up in this evangelical Christian church that sort of pushes this idea of marriage and finding your soulmate and What's crazy about that is we're all so uniquely different and have so many gifts and we're so complex as humans to think that just one other human being could be your soulmate um, almost restricts your ability, I think, to have a really nice complement of relationships that just add to who you are and to how you come to your relationships. And so um, that would be that would be the first one, right? Think about my friend Anthony Ray Hinton, who was on death row for almost thirty years. Uh, he's a subject in Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy book and film. And Anthony Ray and I have become such good friends. And he was released from death row a few years ago, um, completely innocent. Spent thirty years. His mother died while uh, he was still on death row. Uh, he and his family, his siblings and others um, stopped coming to visit after a few months. And his best friend from the time he was eight is this extraordinary man named Lester, who's also now a good friend of mine, Lester Bailey, who lived right down the street from him. And Lester drove in that suburban every single month. Uh, to the maximum security prison to go see Anthony Ray and never missed a single one. He had 300,000 miles on his Suburban when Anthony Ray uh, got out of uh, prison. And Lester was the one, of course, who welcomed him as soon as he got out. And Lester brought him right away to his mother's grave. They stopped there first before even returning home. And their friendship um, is extraordinary. Um, and the, the power of that lasting relationship, that loyal relationship is something I've never actually witnessed uh, b- before watching them in unison. Now they're traveling together. Anthony Ray's written his own book called The Sun Does Shine. And when he got a contract for his book, uh, he took his entire advance on his book and went and bought Lester a new vehicle. Oh my God, I'm crying. (laughs) And his whole advance on. 
And it's been so fun. They're big college football fans and I'm a huge college football fan. So I've gone and flown there. They're huge Auburn fans. So, you know, can't, no, no Bama love there. Um, and so I'll fly and once a year we'll go to a game with Anthony Ray and Lester and show cheer for War Eagle. I got it down. War Eagle, yeah. uh, Watching their interaction and sort of the ease in which they have just complete and unconditional love for each other and are so incredibly loyal to each other has been so, so powerful. Um, And so when I think about relationships and what I've learned from a lot of these, you know, um, high, highly visible folks, you look at Archbishop Desmond Tutu, I mean, one of his closest friends and I've also been able to bear witness to the two of them in a room together is His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. And it's just remarkable to see. I mean, we were sitting together um, in Dharamsala a few years ago now when they were writing the Book of Joy together. And um, and the two of them are sitting there and I'm watching him, uh, two men who are giants of humanity, but who come from two completely different faith contexts, Right. And I'm watching the ease in which they handle that. And gosh, especially when I'm looking at how divided America feels today and how grumpy we are about the slightest things about Mm -hmm. each other. I look at these two holy men sitting next to each other with completely different views and how they handle that. And at one point they were talking about sort of what happens after death. I mean, they were talking about some pretty intense stuff and his holiness, you know, and all of his decorum sort of like punches, you know, Archbishop Desmond Tutu in the arm and says, well, this guy, you know, this guy gets to go to heaven, right? I'm supposedly going to be reincarnated <laughs> the mug or something. <laughs> laugh. It's just bad. They both barely laughed about him. It was so funny. And it just effusive laugh that I just carried through the room. Um, at another point, um, Arch kind of gave it back to his holiness. The, uh, woman who was helping to record, we recorded all of their interviews, came to fix the microphone, kept slipping off of his holiness's robes. And so came to kind of fix the lapel mic on his holiness and Arch, uh, smacked his hand and he was like, Hey, you, you're a holy man, you know, like (laughs) teasing him because this woman fixing his lapel mic and like making a joke that of course he had this like attractive woman fixing his lapel mic. And I just, um, I just, the ease in which that happens. I think that that the crux of the crux of it is, is vulnerability, right? Because if we weren't almost completely divorced to ourselves to be fully present and vulnerable with another in a relationship, um, then just stuff gets in the way, right? Mm. Lester just was fully vulnerable. Every time he'd show up for Anthony Ray, even when it looked like there was no way Anthony Ray was ever getting out of that prison, and he didn't do it out of some sense of duty or loyalty, I think he did it because he loved Anthony Ray and he was vulnerable enough um, to, uh, to where their relationship was powerful as a pair mm-hmm. and um, and that there was something that was precious in all the world to protect in, in that friendship and that pair. And they both were adamant to protect it. But, yeah. What do you think about that? 
that, Sam. Do you have the same kind of philosophy about like multiple soulmates and that idea? Do you give each other freedom in those ways to explore that or? Yeah, I think so. We, um, I have a, I have a twin brother and, and so we're An identical twin. Identical. Oh boy. Oh. Very problematic. <laughs> Air brain. So we, uh, so we've been very close, obviously, you know, and, uh, we're still friends and yeah, we, you know, um, we're, I think as we have kind of grown older, we've, you know, at one point, yeah, we were kind of all, you know, we both love basketball and the Spurs and we both went to the same college and, and we were, and took you know, the exact of, same classes yeah, and shared this, one set of books and same. shared a car. <laughs> oh, you were like the true. He was saying it subtly twins. and Shannon's like, no, this is, this is another identical twins. So like one in every 300 identical twins are mirrored. They actually yeah. mirrored. One's left dominant, one's right. Mm-hmm. Yes, they really are. Wow. Twins mm-hmm. are so fascinating. We kind of, but we're still very different in some ways too. And so, um, you know, we may not see eye to eye on, on, a, on some things. And so, but, but I think through it all, we're, we're still. Including know, very today's good political climate. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. That's a tough one. When, that sometimes, you know, we kind of avoid some topics. Uh, <laughs> preserve that friendship and relationship but uh no but it's uh, but i mean i think it also i think it's also a lesson about you know some people you may not agree with politically or you know worldview may be a little different um like you know the dalai lama and and tutu you know like they're very different but they still have that the love and friendship for each other and so i think so yeah i think you can definitely have multiple soulmates and, and people you connect with for different reasons and different areas of life. And that doesn't take away from what you have with your partner together. So it doesn't, you're, it doesn't take away from you two. It just well, would, would argue, add. Right. I would argue that there's no way that just sort of one other person, right. Our children are, are mm-hmm. impacted lives in certain ways. Our friends are, and I, I would argue that it only just really amplifies that and takes a lot of pressure off of um, a single relationship right. as well. Like the single person can't be your everything. I feel like you've been able to sit with a lot of like startup social entrepreneurship projects over the years and been an advisor with these people. Um, some of which, you know, level different levels of engagement you've had with them. But if you were sitting with somebody that was young, 20 something today, and they were in a relationship and they sat down with the two of you and you're like, okay, I'm launching this thing. It's, it's significant. It's an incredible thing they're doing. And they're trying to maintain this relationship. What advice would, would the two of you guys give those young um, idealistic and yet passionate people today. Yeah, I, I would think first and foremost, just making sure there's alignment around a deep and mutual respect for, again, whatever it is that each other is supposed to be in the world and who they're supposed to be in the world. Uh, without that, I think that um, I, I think that the odds are probably stacked against you. And I think that's way easier to determine if you know at an early stage in your life what that is, right? So few people 
do. So in your hypothetical, you've got an entrepreneur who's kind of actually already figured it out, right? They're clicking or they figured out what they want to do, right? Depending on what stage it's at. And that's often the signal of what they're going to want to be giving to the world throughout their life, whether it not they do three more companies in the meantime or three more organizations. And so I think just this sort of mutual respect around that is is sort of first and foremost. And then I would say that an understanding with that significant other or that partner of how they see each other interacting around that and what their engagement on that is. Because I don't think it's really possible to be partners with someone. And uh, certainly like if you're building a family and have children with someone to uh, just be pursuing two sort of mutual, mutually exclusive paths, right? Where one's just going to do this and the other's just, and that they don't intersect. And so just trying to understand what that looks like. In our case, I'm certainly uh, in the work that I've done, Sam certainly was never involved in the day-to-day um, but uh, there were just certain ways that we talked about in terms of how we thought about co-parenting our children and how important it was for us that our children really both understood us. Um, that was going to mean some sacrifices um, in terms of we've spent a couple summers in Africa um, living so that the kids could really get to know the regions. And then I would go to work from there and, and things like that. And so just some basic really respectful understanding around those passions, but also an indication of support, right? Whether it be in in Sam's case through like taking an entire summer off so that he could travel with the boys and I to the region that I'd been spending so much time uh, to understand. Sometimes that might literally just look like going and diving in and helping volunteer for an organization that the other is setting up. It might mean being a thought partner, but it doesn't always mean that, right? I've seen these extraordinary and very successful partnerships um, where uh, individuals have very different day-to-day work that they do. But at the end of the day, there is such a cross in terms of respect for each other's passions uh, that it becomes very integrated. Yeah. Certain people don't believe that Sam even really exists in real life. And so the fact that you're actually not um, filming us today is really spoiling my plan to <laughs> that he does. Because uh, the boys have their things here at home and he is staying here to do that. So he is not traveling with me and he's not present with me a lot when I'm doing public speaking and other events. And so he's kind of the boogeyman. Like everyone's like, no, he's not real. And now our whole big plans for him to look real, you've just spoiled because no one can Oh, we're going to put a picture of you up, Sam, for sure. All right. Well, now we're to our last question. And this is the question we ask every couple that we ever interview. Is it possible to change the world, stay in love and raise a healthy family? And we'd love to hear both your points of view. I think it is possible. It's it's challenging as we can, I think, both attest to. It's, it's extremely challenging. I mean, I think at one point, Shannon was in the jungle of Africa planning, you know, calling me or texting me and say, well, make sure the cotton candy machine is, is there tomorrow or there next week. And we got to make sure pick up the pinata, you know, so she's planning birthday parties and fundraisers, you know, from, from the jungles of Africa. And, and so, um, 
uh, which was amazing. But but yes, it's it it's possible. It's challenging, um, and I just also think we, you know, we try to find those moments throughout the day, whether it be in the morning or in the evenings, where we can just kind of reconnect a little bit as much as you know as much as possible to as far as you know talking about the day or talking about you know some of the things that might be going on and with with the kids or in our world and, and with each other and so i think that's that's important just to you know, finding even if it's just you know a few minutes um at the end of the day or in the first thing in the morning kind of reconnect and, and check in with each other so it is challenging for sure. Yes. Yeah. And I think the biggest challenges were the ones I wasn't anticipating, right? You, especially for me, who was just raised in a pretty traditional environment that kind of speaks to um, all the stuff to anticipate, right? And sort of the A to Zs of what a marriage is supposed to look like or having a family. And it really doesn't lend itself. Some of that early advice doesn't lend itself to the kind of flexibility that's actually required to do this. Because um, because there's all the stuff they don't tell you, right? They can even do sort of like, oh, this is what it looks like to build a company alongside a partner. But it's the friendly fire that really gets you, right? It's the stuff where we're actually found that rhythm and we're in motion. And then we lose a child. Hmm. Or we found that rhythm and we're in motion and Sam loses his beloved mother. And we got a lot of that still in front of us on the dashboard, right? Because none of us are getting out of here alive. And so we're, we're, there will be a lot of that on the dashboard. And that's the stuff that I was less prepared for. And that's made this so much more challenging. Even with regards to raising children, um, we read all the books and stuff. So we were kind of prepared for how we were going to talk about if we had a disagreement in terms of a parenting decision. I mean, that's almost easy peasy at this point. Um, It's these external stuff, uh, the stuff that uh, we just didn't anticipate, which is really actually just the whole function of life, right? Um, And that's been the harder part. But um, certainly in terms of of our boys and, um, and what a tremendous gift they've been, I think that one of the greatest ways that we often reconnect, even if we go months sort of without feeling like we've actually sat down and had an hour long conversation about anything, they'll do something, right? My oldest, who just turned 15 last week, is already 6'3". Thank you very much, Sam. Um, And like the other day, we're sitting at the kitchen counter and we're all chatting and he stands up. And I'm just blown away by his height, right? He's grown four and a half inches a year for the last couple of years. And just in that moment, it just was, I see him every day, but in that moment, it was just like overpowering. And I look out of the side of my eyes and Sam's, for sure, we we don't even have to say it. Sam's thinking the exact same thing, right? And we just shake our heads to each other. um, Or when our youngest, our youngest is hysterical. And so when our youngest does something where we know we're like, now that he's old enough, we're not allowed to, to show if we're laughing at him because it's no longer laughing with him. He feels like it's laughing at him. But when we just can't help ourselves, we'll just look at each other and there'll just be a smile in both of our eyes. And it's just like, there's just this, this connect that happens at that level, this almost nonverbal communication that you can't plan for, but um, that I think truly is one of the grounding principles that sort of runs across all the threads of our life. 
And now it's time for the breakdown. What is that? How'd you feel about that? How do you take over the breakdown? How'd you, you just were so silent for so long. I couldn't handle it anymore. (laughs) Silence is golden. Guys, what do you guys think? Remember when we used to watch movies and they would tell you silence is golden? (laughs) Just a little. I'm just moving us along here. (laughs) Well, while you were moving us along, I was moved. You were meditating? No, I was I was thinking about all the things I learned from this couple. Oh, gosh. I have so many things. Will you start us off then? Okay, there was a line that I pretty much started crying in that she said, and I don't even know if you thought it, but as a mother, um, this was the line. She said to her child, uh, zebras would never take me away from you. And it's this idea that, the kid at that age just thinks she's going to Africa to see zebras. And, um, oh, I'm getting emotional already. Wow. I'm like, as a mother who's doing incredible work and knowing that there's bigger and harder things in this world, like needing to bring the child from zebras to like, real honest truth mm-hmm. about hardships in life and and know that that's meaningful work that's taking you away not just zebras yeah i think you're right i didn't i actually didn't pick up on it in the way, same way that you did but i saw it in other ways like i saw her constantly and even sharing of this constantly the battle between normal life with kids and the mission that she is pursuing and how hard it is to understand when and what to say to your kids at the right time to, so that they understand what is really happening in the world. I think this year, kids feel the realities of this broken world we live in mm. more yeah. than ever because yeah. they're affected by it more than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at least American kids. Um they're physically experiencing it and having to change their lives because of the world. Yeah. And I mean, I think Shannon recognizes that none of this work could have happened or could happen without Sam. Yeah. And how significant and an important role that he has in all of this, like none of this good work could have happened without him. And I think just that constant, like, Stability, support from him is like, you can tell it's like her backbone. Like you can tell. This is what Shannon said. The best dreams I can give my boy, my boys, is to be living out the best that I can, my dreams. Mm-hmm. So it's like this, this idea that, you know, we have, we have hopes for our kids, but if we're not exemplifying that, within ourselves, there's no way they're going to fully understand it. Yeah, that's true. Um, I thought that was incredible. But in, in the same moment, she couldn't do that without the stability of Sam, and she realizes that. Yeah. And then the multiple soulmates. That could be touchy for some people, maybe. Mm-hmm. It could be. I think so many times you think that this is like, well, you're, I, I don't know, are we taught this at some point, that there's like, you're one your one person that you have to find in this world that is your, you know, complete person. Yeah, I don't know. So it's I, such I a think, weird... I think the touchy part of that is actually super immature. Like, I think the people that are not 
in community would make it touchy. But it's like, what she's saying is like, we all need to have humans in our lives. This is my interpretation of it. You could correct me. Please correct me if I'm wrong. We need people in our lives. Like, and some of those soulmates are romantic and some are not. Some are like, some bring us joy. Some bring us trust. Some make us, help us get through hard times. Mm-hmm. Um, just the one person can't be your everything. And it's so much pressure on just one person if that's what you're expecting. It's impossible. Yeah. I, th- I think how she stated it is really, um, really encouraging and challenging to kind of go, who are my other soulmates that are, potentially are not my life partner? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good to think about, I think, for sure. I mean, this episode, you could, we could that just That Anthony Ray about. and Lester story, oh my goodness, broke my heart. I'm about to buy the book. It's called The Sun Does Shine. I'm going to buy that book too. That's oh, wow. Anthony Ray's book. There you go. You're just going to be buying books. So there's that book y'all need to buy, but I'll don't read forget it. I'll to buy Shannon's. I'll probably take my time read it. <laughs> you, you, can, you can rush through it. It's cool. Okay, but let's go back to Shannon's book. You all need to buy to stop a warlord. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. And that's another one. Love or work. was recorded by our favorite Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions. <laughs>